Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. I want to welcome you back to our series entitled Subject to Change. We're talking about how to navigate the changes that we face in our life. I wanna welcome all those that are watching online. I wanna welcome our McKinney campus. I wanna welcome our Hazlitt campus, now four weeks old, excited about what God's doing there. Maybe someone who'll watch this message later, those in video venues here at the Keller campus. Put your hands together. Let's welcome all those that are joining us. We're thinking about all of you. Well. I love to celebrate you as a church because you're easy to celebrate. Your heart, your generosity, your love for others, and one thing that I wanna celebrate is what God is doing among the next generation here at Milestone Church. How many of you know we don't want to just be a one-hit wonder, all of us gathered together, and then the things God wants to do in the future drop off after we're all gone? We wanna transfer to the next generation the values, the vision, the love for God and the faith that we have. And I want you to know we're seeing God do something amazing right now, literally something I've never seen before. For the last three weeks, we've seen almost a 1,000 teenagers gathered on Wednesday night. Come on, not just playing games. Now... We did draw them in with a little Cane's chicken. Come on, you, know, you got if you feed a kid, they'll come. We got all the good-looking girls to come too because that draws the boys. But anyway, we, 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 we are seeing God do something amazing. 500 first-time guests in the last few weeks and 155 students gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Come on, that's worth celebrating. That's worth celebrating. I... I know I don't meet a person today who's not burdened for the next generation, but it really doesn't take a genius to identify problems. It takes the people of God to solve real problems, and God's using his church to do it, and I want you to know I'm so proud of you, and I'm so thankful for you. If you're new with us, we're talking about this idea of change. We're calling it subject to change. One thing that's guaranteed in our lives is that we're gonna face things that are new to us. Sometimes they're things that we pray for, Sometimes there are things that are unexpected, but God is always ahead of us, taking us to a new place. And what I've learned about myself is that I sometimes pray for change. I sometimes end up in the middle of change, but I'm not as good at change as I would like to think. I'm not always that good at it. So in this series, we've been studying a big Bible story. It's a big story in the Old Testament, and it's referred to multiple times in the New Testament, and that is the Exodus story of God's people where God brings them out of the bondage of Egypt. Let me give you this little snapshot. I have a picture here for you of sort of an overview of what takes place. You may know the story, you may not. There's movies, right? Let my people go. Moses, you know, you've seen the movies. All right, so God hears their cries. They pray for this change, he hears their cries, delivers them from the bondage of Egypt, and we have been looking at multiple anchor points along the way in the story. He parts the Red Sea. Because he's a good provider, he shows up and pours out manna and quail. We learned at our last time and our last stop, we learned that in fact Moses is up on the mountain at Mount Sinai. That was one of their stops. He's up the mountain getting 
the commandments of God, they're at the bottom breaking all of them, okay? So it was kind of crazy, right? They're like, this cow just appeared, you know? It was pretty funny, right? We, here's what we're learning about these people is that they may have lived at a different time without iPhones and 300 channels on their television and airplanes, but what we're learning is they lived in a different context but we recognize where their hearts are. Because really, at the end of the day, what we're learning in this series is, it's not what's happening to us on the outside, it's what God's wanting to do on the inside. It's what he's doing in our hearts. Well, we're gonna take another stop. I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And I want us to look at a very sort of interesting, and I'm warning you, buckle your seatbelts, some of you may have never heard this story before. If you have, you haven't looked at the details recently. It's an out-of-the-box stop, and it happens in this wandering period. Remember, they had the Red Sea cross, and they've now received the Ten Commandments. They've actually built the tabernacle, so they're worshiping God. And so in this time where they're wandering, that's where we're at, and they're just wandering around. By the way, when you're wandering around, just sort of on, just like, Lord, what are you doing? You're most susceptible to what I'm talking about. Because God has designed us to take steps. This story is fascinating because it's a journey that should have taken 11 days. There's two and a half million people involved. And Moses, an unlikely candidate, he's insecure, he's worried about his speech. By the way, if you're wondering if God can use you, in the Bible we see he always uses those who think they're not qualified. He's not looking for the qualified, he's looking for the willing. He's looking for willing people. So Moses is gonna take them on this journey, should have taken 11 days, it's a 40 year process. And I'm, I'm, I've been just reacquainted and amazed by this. Two, two went in. Two and a half million and two. That's why the New Testament says you need to study this as an example so that you recognize where their hearts are. We're gonna take another stop in this place where it's called Korah's Rebellion. Korah's Rebellion. Interesting that there's this stop where part of the challenges of them getting to the promised land was dealing with the rebellion in their hearts. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in. I find that families are one of two types. One family is kind of passive aggressive and like when you have something stuck in your teeth. I, I used to take every guest, I'd call every guest till our church was 700 people and I'd take every guest that I could get to come to lunch with me, they would go to lunch with me. One time I was talking to these guests, I had a big piece of lettuce right there on my tooth. My wife didn't tell me. And I was real passionate back then. I left, I go, I think that went pretty good. She said, they're not coming back. They're never coming back. You know, Jeff, you were just too strong. You know, I was like, come with us, build the church in Jesus' name. They're like, uh, we're not saved, you know? I mean, and you had lettuce in your teeth, you know? And you know, when somebody got an eye booger or boog, you know, it's just, hey brother, it's, it's on you, you know? We can't see it on ourselves. You got lettuce in your teeth. Now, how many of y'all grew up in a family where they don't tell you you have lettuce in your teeth, but later on they gather a group of the family and say, did you see that lettuce in their teeth? <laughs> now, some of you had a family where they're just straight up, just stopped everything. You got lettuce in your teeth, just straightforward. How many of y'all grew up in that family? I think I guess you attract what you are. I mean, that's what, you know. Before we go to Numbers chapter 16, I wanna give you Proverbs 12.1, and I'm warning you. This is a time where God just says straight to us, you got lettuce in your teeth. Look at this verse. 
Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. My wife said we can't say stupid in our house, but now I got biblical reference. I'm calling people stupid this week. You're stupid, brother. Come on, anybody, look. We're empowered by scripture to call people stupid all week long. You know, you can get a stupid spirit on you if you don't have a teachable spirit. If you don't love what God's, and really, you're gonna look at this story in a minute. I'm gonna read it to you. I'm not even just talking about just relationally with people. Really, ultimately, the Old Testament picture here is Moses is God's representative. It's really even related to how we relate to God. God has things for us. He wants to take us to the promised land. The question is, do we get a stupid spirit on us? The Bible says if we're willing to receive correction, we can get knowledge. Proverbs calls it wisdom, and we can live our life in a different way. I'm getting new knowledge right now. I'm getting new knowledge. Now it's involving some correction because my oldest daughter is about to get married. And I'm learning so many things. I mean, I thought a wedding was like, here's the church, here's the steeple. You get a church, you get a preacher. I've been learning that, no, no, it's not that anymore. It's four coordinators in a venue. I'm not on the committee that plans where we're having the wedding. I am on the finance committee, but I'm not a voting member of the other committee. And so I, they said the other day, so we need a venue. I said, we got a venue. I'm, I'm, I got some hookups with the leadership down there at the venue. It's a nice venue. It has air conditioning. They said, it doesn't have a center aisle. I was like, for what y'all are spending, we'll just bring her in from the roof off of a helicopter. I mean, we'll just drop her right down. <laughs> a venue? And it's continued. I'm learning along every step of the way. I mean, I, they said, you need to come to the tasting. I'm like, well, why don't we just get food that we don't have to taste? I looked at the thing, it had couscous on it. I mean, what is that? Couscous? What about mashed potatoes? You know what I'm saying? I mean, why do we need couscous? And it just, I'm, 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 I'm being teachable. So I'm getting new knowledge. Monday night football, I'm watching Monday night football. My wife's on Amazon. Y'all know how it goes. Come on, everybody, that's what happens at your house. She's on Amazon. She goes, oh my goodness. I'm like, what happened? Something wrong with the kids, baby? I'm, you know, what's going on? She said, there's a short supply of sparklers. I was like, what do we need sparklers for? What baby, why, what's, Jeff, there's a short supply of sparklers. Uh, she said, the wedding. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting coached up on the wedding. Yeah, the sparklers. But what are those for? It's not on the 4th of July. She said, for when they leave, we hold them for the photo. I said, what happened to rice? She said, it kills the birds. I said, we'll throw them bird seed. Why do we need sparklers? This week, a load of sparklers. I'm talking about after the wedding, get your fireworks at Jeff Little's fireworks shop because we've got an inordinate amount. I'm getting, getting coached up on it. I'm learning. Let's look at this story here, though. It's called Korah's Rebellion. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, by the way, Korah was a priest. He was one who represented God. He should have known better than what's about to happen. He gets involved and influenced by others, as we see here. It says this, son of Levi, and certain Reubenites. They were influential people in the community. 
When the priest lets the people of the community leverage their influence to get them to get off of God's plan, bad things can happen. It says this though, it says Dothan and Abram, Abiram, sons of Eliab and one son of Peleth became insolent. That word means disrespectful, rebellious if you will. And they rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses, and Aaron said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Now remember, this is God's representative of the heart of God. And so notice the first posture, just like God's posture is for us when we move from having a teachable spirit and get rebellious, God's heart for us and what we see in Moses and Aaron is this humble posture of, Lord, there's a prayer, and if you've ever had someone in your life see them go insolent or rebellious, your prayer is, Lord, Lord, please show them mercy, show them grace, don't let them learn the hard way. He fell face down, because why? He's burdened for where this is going to take them. Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, and this is really what I want to hone in on in this story because it's a radical story. They said, we will not come. So in other words, they've been so taken by a spirit of rebellion that they're not even willing to listen, that they're not even willing to talk about it or receive any kind of instruction. It says, we will not come. Now notice, we've learned this in the story over and over, notice when you get emotional, when you get off track with God, when you're not centered, you even lose sight of the facts. We see that in multiple stories in this Exodus journey. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're looking in the past, seeing it from a wrong view. We do that with change sometimes. We over glorify all the great things of the past and miss the entire picture of what we were actually praying for. You didn't come out of a land flowing with milk and honey. You were under the tyranny of Pharaoh. You were being beaten so that you could make bricks for more of his structures. It's not even true. And look what he says, and now you also want to lord it over us. As some versions talk about Moses wanting to be a prince. Well, actually, he left being a prince so that God, because God called him out of that place to actually take care of people. He says, moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come, said twice in the story. An, an unteachable spirit. Moses became very angry, said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. And there's a radical, radical conclusion to this story. Moses is patient. He kind of used a good parenting move. You might want to think about this a day. God, he shows his patience through Moses, but it ends with this, because God is patient, God is forgiving, but he's also just. As soon as he had finished saying all of this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. I don't know any other place in the Bible where this happened than in this story, and I don't know that I've seen it happen in today's world, but I will tell you this. I'm seeing lots of people in our current world being swallowed, swallowed by an unteachable spirit, swallowed by a spirit 
of rebellion. Now, you're listening to this, you're like, wow, pastor, that's a radical story, and I wanna get real practical in our last few moments together, and you're asking maybe a question like, is Pastor Jeff saying that we're rebellious? Is he preaching this, and he's Moses in the story? You need to do what I say. Let me be very clear, that's not what I'm talking about. I feel very honored in my home. I feel very honored as the pastor of this church. So this is not, you know, y'all need to do what I say. I wish y'all would do more of what I say, but anyway, I tried that at my house. Y'all all need to listen to me. Didn't work, okay? Anyway, so that's not the context of today's message. It's really not. In fact, I think this is, again, I want, to, I want you to remember, this is not practical structures. It's really a heart. It's really how they're viewing God in more of a practical sense. What I am saying, though, is, is that if you want to know privately, as I mentor leaders or I disciple people or I coach people, if you were to be in a relationship with me or even with my own children, one of the areas that I always want to focus on because I care for them is that they have a teachable spirit. Because I know that if you can get that in them, it sets them up to continue to journey with God and see everything that God has for their life. Did you know you can actually not even be that smart and God, if you have that spirit on your life, God will keep directing you to the right decisions and he will give it to you. But you can't say, I'm not even coming because that spirit is in operation in your heart and life. Now, I also wanna say, before I give you the practical stuff, that I'm crazy a little bit, I'm kinda radical. I come from a whole different planet, really, a different world. I need to share it with you for just a second. The older I get, I feel like a dinosaur. I was thinking back this week how to just keep sharing with you so that you hear my passion, but you know, again, I'm trying to bring you along in this. I, I grew up in Northeast Texas. My dad was six foot seven. And he would talk about having a teachable spirit. The coach I am to people today is because my dad consistently was coaching me. And he was constantly, and here's how I went to school. You need to know this. I know this is crazy. Some of you won't relate to it. He was six foot seven, a giant of a man, five hand sizes. And he had my little hand and little Jeff at five years old. I went to school at New Diana Elementary. He walked me in that day. I'll never forget. I walked in. There he was standing there and there was Miss Pace, my kindergarten teacher. He looked at her in the face, and I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, what's he going to say? He said, Miss Pace, this is Jeff. And you know what? I'm turning him over to your authority. If you want to discipline him, have at it. <laughs> you just, you're in charge. You, just go ahead. And Miss Pace, if, if you discipline him, please let me know. Because if you do discipline him, I want you to know that I'm going to discipline him when he gets home. <laughs> I, he didn't come with like a rock star writer. You know, when rock stars come to do a concert, they send you a writer. Only green M&Ms. Only this type of latte. He didn't give Miss Pace that. Only talk to Jeff this way. Jeff, only, he only understands this language. If you, if you have a problem with Jeff, please call me because I'm the only one that can interpret Jeff's heart so I can be able to tell you what Jeff actually means because Jeff is actually really the one who's right. Jeff's never wrong because Jeff is perfect. My dad always believed, you know what? You probably are wrong. He didn't give Miss Pace a rider. He said, he's under your authority. When I had my high school coach, I mean, my high school coach was so hard. I mean, I'm telling you, this guy... 
is like he, and that's what grabbed by the face mask, you know? And I mean, his breath was so bad. I'm like, are you cold? He's like, no. I said, I was just thinking in my mind, but you do have a green blanket on your teeth. You know, it's just like this guy. And I, I, would, I probably could have hit him with a baseball bat. And my dad, you know what, Jeff? The truth is a coach only coaches those who they see potential in. When my son got in the youth group, what we see happening among young people today is because of Pastor Tyron Caswell, his wife Betsy, they moved here with us and they started Milestone with us. And his heart for young people, he served as a youth pastor till he was 40 years old to pour into the next generation. The future of our church, we should celebrate and thank that couple who poured into this next generation and they poured into my kids. I'm grateful for them pouring into my kids, but I remember my son, Pastor T was his youth pastor. By the way, you want your kids under other people's authority. You want your kids having other voices in their life. My son, he became a teenager. You know, when you become a teenager, you know everything. He was smarter than Pastor T. Pastor T coached him up one day. He came home and he said, Dad, you're over Pastor T, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not Pastor T's pastor. He said, well, I'm wanting to make an appeal to higher authority. Because I feel like he talked to me rude. I feel like he told me some things. I don't feel like he doesn't understand me. And I know some things that need to be in it. He said, I said, well, what did he tell you? And I thought, man, that's some good stuff. That's some stuff I've been wanting to tell you. He said, so what are you going to do, Dad? I said, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm telling y'all I'm crazy. I know I am. I know. I'm a, you're looking at me like this guy's from a different planet. I told my son, I said, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to set an appointment with Pastor T's assistant. And what you're going to do is when you get on his calendar, you're going to go there and they're going to sit you down in that little lobby area and give you a bottle of water. And she's going to escort you to back to Pastor T's office and there he'll sit. And you're going to get right up next to his desk and look him in the face and say, Pastor, do you see anything else? Do you see anything else? Because I know, Pastor T, with your busy schedule and all the stuff you have going on, you must see potential in me. You must love me. You must care about me to take the time to tell me something so I don't end up stupid. That's what I told him. I want you to know if I can impart one thing to you in the middle of change is to have a teachable spirit. Here's number one. You need to have an accurate view of God. You need an accurate view of God. He's so loving. He's so, we see this in this story. We see this journey. You see God is loving. He is patient. The Old Testament God that people say is so angry. I know I look at it and think, man, I, I don't know if I would be that patient, but he keeps coming back and keeps loving them. I mean, let me kind of show you the journey of the whole, this whole story. I remember reading it in fifth grade Sunday school thinking, if I were God, I'd fry these people. It's really hard to read. But it's a story of God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has things ahead of you that you couldn't even imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who will just love him. He has a plan. But what do we do? You don't have to be trained in it. It happened in the garden. The very first step, the very first thing, the enemy comes to change your view of God to make him not the loving father that he is, but make him into something different. An inaccurate view of God, he's holding out on you. He doesn't have the best for you, he has his own agenda. It happened in the garden, so what do we do? We rebel. You don't have to train your children to do this. You bring them home, they're beautiful. My little, it's like, oh, they got a nice bow, they got all the nice outfit, and let me just tell you, they start growing up. 
people who don't believe that we are originally flawed and broken and in need of a savior named Jesus, if they don't believe people are, they, most people today is like, oh, people are basically good. They've never had a two-year-old. Let me just tell you, we don't have to be trained in this. So we rebel. And then when we rebel, we end up in bondage. Sin has consequences and it leads us to death. And you just end up in this place where you go, how did I get here? It started with rebellion in the heart. They end up in bondage and then he rescues them and he loves them and he gets them on the right path and they just continue to complete that cycle over and over and over again. Here's the change that happened in Jesus. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus had all the same temptations, but Jesus submitted to his father. His father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, what I hear you say, I say. So Jesus completed the plan that we could never complete. He lived the life that we could never live so we could live a life that we could never dream of. Jesus completed the plan for us. You say, I want a teachable spirit, but I got so much pain, or I've got so many challenges, or I've had so much hurt. I've got this. You'll never do it without Jesus Christ living at the center of your life. Rebellion will lead you to death, but Jesus will lead you to life. And so that's how we view God in a proper way is through the lens of Jesus. But what we have today is we want to make a Jesus in our image, not the Jesus of the Bible. The other day, my wife, I called her. I was on my way home. I said, what are we having for dinner, baby doll? She said, we're having pizza. I said, praise God, I love pizza. Nothing like a good pizza, man. I was driving home. My mouth was watering. She got, I got home. She cut me a piece of pizza. I sat down. I'm like, man, it's going to be so good. Powerful piece of pizza. It's just going to soothe all of my ministry challenges of the day. And I picked that pizza up and bit into it. I said, this is, something's wrong, honey. What's wrong with this pizza? And she's like, oh, it's good. It's good. You need to eat it. I took another bite. I said, eh, I'm being tricked. <laughs> she said, well, Jeff, this is the new thing. It's good for us. It's healthy. It's cauliflower pizza. <laughs> I said, let me say something. Cauliflower wasn't good by itself. Why are we going to put it in our pizza? Cauliflower pizza, those things are not, they don't need to be connected. That's what we do with God. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And then what we don't understand is we're not worshiping the true God. We're worshiping a God we made up. When you have an accurate view of God, you know that he loves you, that he is forgiving, that he is redemptive, that he is so patient, but he's also just. And if you turn your back on him, it's to your own detriment because he's a good God who cares about you. Number two, though, there is a spirit or cycle of rebellion I wanna give you a little thought here for a second, and that is teachable people. You might wanna write this down. Use it with your teams. Use it with people you coach. Teachable people do not see correction as rejection. The enemy with the spirit of rebellion will make you when you hear something that's teaching is the first impulse, I'm that way, you're that way, because we're performance-oriented is we wanna feel rejected. But teachable people begin to, they overcome that feeling and say, no, wait a minute. I'm not going to get rejected and pull away from it. I'm going to lean into it because it's God wanting to help me. But there's a spirit of rebellion. You understand there's a cycle in it. I want to give you this. This is a heavy verse, but I think, man, we need a dose of this. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I'm gonna tell you, we need to pray for this. Again, parents, how do I know what to focus on? Look, 
there's foolishness. Kids do foolish things, but what we want to pray against, what we want to parent toward is not their performance so that they make us look better, but that heart, that heart, that heart, because the enemy's strategy is to get them under the sin of rebellion. It says it's like witchcraft. You're like, pastor, what does that mean? It's like a divination. It's a, it's a spell, a hex, a blinding, a, a, a wrong is right, right is wrong. I can't see the way, and, and, and I'm convinced that I'm headed the right way, but it's the devil leading me the wrong way. It's the sin of literally comparative to witchcraft. Look, look, in, in our culture, you get celebrated for being a rebel. You get celebrated. Look at the next one, and stubbornness. You ever heard somebody, I just do it my own way. Well, I'm just, I'm just a stubborn person. Well, I would encourage you to read Proverbs every year if you say that's who you are. If you say, my kid's just stubborn, and you celebrate it, it's cute when they're little. It's not cute when they get older. If you say, I'm just stubborn. I'm just a stubborn person. Well, it says stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. The Bible doesn't celebrate that spirit. Here's how it happens though. Let's talk about this cycle. I've worked with young people and helped young people that were walking through this, helping parents for many, many years. It starts with mistrust. There's a breach sometimes. There's a, a, an issue, a, a key teacher or a coach, or this is why anybody who has any responsibility of people, we need to understand that many times, again, their lens and view of God, we should take that with, with the fear of the Lord. But sometimes there's a breach, there's a pain. It's a real pain. And when there's a pain there, the enemy comes in through that channel of pain. And then they begin to mistrust God. They begin to mistrust those around them. We all are susceptible to this. The enemy comes in with that spirit, that spirit of witchcraft to deceive. And it's, it's like you can see it with someone else, but the problem is you can't see the green thing in your own teeth. So they begin to get deceived. And really this is what the enemy does is isolate us. He gets us isolated. If we haven't learned anything in the last year and a half, we don't do well when we're isolated. We get alone with our own thoughts. That's a dangerous recipe. And this, I want everybody to key in with me. Hazlitt Campus, everybody listen to this message later. This is the real tool of the enemy, is when you start moving in rebellion and you start sowing those seeds of it, you have a whole culture that'll say, that's who you are. That's who you are. Identify yourself that way. Begin to put on that persona and the enemy wants to get you there because then you can't even come and listen because you've now identified yourself as outside of those who are following God. And once he can get you to see yourself as a rebel, he has you in a place where he can destroy your life. The enemy wants you to identify that and then what happens is you literally come to a place where you're not able to hear from God. So this is that cycle that we wanna see broken and we wanna run from in our own lives. You're like, Pastor, you're scaring me a little bit. Well, we might need a little more of this preaching in church today. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're not to be tormented and scared of God, but you know what? There's some stuff we need to be scared of. In Albany, Texas, west of here, there was a man who crawled under his house. When he crawled under his house, he saw a rattlesnake. Now, he did what I would have done, back out and call in some reinforcements. So y'all know what I'm saying? The Bible says we tread upon serpents. I say we kill the serpents. Y'all know what I'm saying? And so he called a professional company. He didn't have one rattlesnake under his house. He had 45 rattlesnakes. I pulled the picture off the internet. That was under his house. 
And if you're watching online right now, everybody in this room just went, ah, 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 ah. Amazing. 45 rattlesnakes. Did you know? I'm talking about a spirit. A spirit of rebellion gets on your life. You think you have one snake under your house. You have 45 lethal killing serpents coming to attack you. You say, what do we do, pastor? What do we do? How do we do this? Well, we need to help each other with it. We need to be more open about it. We need to say, if you see anything in my life, if you see this in me, because you have to understand that many times we can't see it in ourselves. The green leaf there, but we can't see it in ourselves. So you need to ask the people around you. You can't see when pride's on your life. You can't see when you're not acting humble. You can't see when a spirit of rebellion, every one of us say, you should tell the godliest, closest people in our life, if you see this around my life, please tell me. Don't hesitate, tell me it's stuck right there. Tell me, because why? The Bible says, you, this is the antidote to it. All of you, all of you, pastors, leaders, people who have big important jobs, all the way down to the littlest of the little, all of you, clothe yourself, clothe yourself. Now I have three daughters, I know something about clothes. I don't personally know, but I know in relationship to my daughters. Because we go on dates and we go buy clothes. I am telling you, I'm personal friends with those chairs back there around those mirrors. I know all about it, man. I'm gonna tell you. And now I'm not personally good with clothes. Everything I'm wearing, my wife told me to wear this. I have jeans and five black polos. Because big men wear black. You know what I'm saying? I just wanna help some of y'all. This is free. I mean, a big man, look, I'm not gonna wear like a blue gingham shirt up here. I look like a tablecloth. You know what I'm saying? Look. You wear black, you wear dark charcoal. I'm just help you, don't wear light blue. I mean, just don't, you look like the sky. You know, it's just, look. So anyway, I have like five black polos. So I don't know anything about this, but my girls do. And what I've learned is, there, there's a challenge, because they'll say, how do I look? My wife, honey, how do I look? Now, let me, let me help you guys with this. This is, this is dangerous territory. How do I look? Because if you just give a token that looks good, then she's like, you didn't say that from your heart. If you say that looks bad, you're toast. So this is very, very high level stuff here. That we, I'm telling you, okay? But what they've done at my house is they form committees outside of me. They FaceTime each other, because I know dad will just be like, that's good. So they call each other, okay? So there, you, you need someone outside of you to help you determine this. I'm, I'm here helping you right now, telling you how your clothes look. I'm telling you how you look, the energy you put. You say, how do I, we all trying, trying to look good on the outside? Here's what it says, on the inside, clothe yourself with humility. Humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor. His favor comes on those who are humble. His favor will come on your life if you're humble. One of my favorite things to do in my season of life is I meet with young people in our church. We have our college, Milestone College, and I find I have such a heart for these young people who wanna do great things for God, but they don't have direction, and I meet with them and have, have a little dinner, and I listen to their story, and I talk to them about their talents, and I wanna help them get on the path to what God has for their life. I love every minute of it. It's so exciting, and I've never seen, again, a generation with so much desire to do so many great things. I'm telling you, they do. And many times they ask me, pastor, tell me about my future. Cause you know, I'm the pastor and I know all things. I got the crystal ball, hold on, let me look in it. I'll tell you everything about it. 
but they wanna hear from me. Tell me where I'm going. Well, most of the time I tell them, here's what you need to do, is take your next step and steward it well. And I tell you though, if you want me to tell you about your future, and I'll tell you this to everybody, listen to me online, I can guarantee you this, I can't tell you everything about your future, but according to this verse, I can tell you this, if you posture yourself with a teachable spirit and stay humble, you're headed up and to the right. But if you get in pride, hear me, if you get in pride and rebellion, it's down. It's down. Plain and simple. That's just the trajectory that the enemy wants us on. I want to finish with this story. I tell it in Discovery 101. Love to invite all of you that are guests to come to our next Discovery 101, hear about what God's doing, where he's taking us. But I love to meet all the new people God's bringing. But I tell this in this Discovery 101 because I want it always to be in the seat of our church. We were behind Taco Casa in a building on 1709. Behind Taco Casa, if you don't know what that is, that's the house of the taco. <laughs> we were behind the house of the taco on 1709. Preached our first service. We had five back then, and I was talking about what I was talking about this weekend, a teachable spirit, and don't get in a place where you're not able to receive from God. Don't get in that place, and I use probably the most famous New Testament verse is there's a son. He goes to his dad. He says, give me my inheritance. He might as well have slapped him. He might as well have spit in his face. He got insolent like the Korah's rebellion. And the dad, who's representative of God, sees him walking away. And if any of you have ever had anyone in your life, it's so painful. The dad sees him. He knows where he's headed. He knows what pain is on the backside of pride and rebellion. He still loves him. And he waits. And so this story goes where this young boy, some of you know it, some of you may not, he, he ends up in a pig pen because that's where sin takes you. That's where rebellion takes you. That's the enemy's plan for your life. And he looks back while he's eating with the pigs and says, even the servants at dad's house are living better than me. And he comes back and it shows the heart of God to anybody here. You say, pastor, I've been in rebellion. The heart of God is he stands there. And when he comes, he takes off running. He embraces him. He throws a party. I keep this in the water of our church, by the way, too, because there's another person in the story, it's the older brother, who's busy thinking about himself, who's busy being angry over the fact that we're prioritizing the prodigal and the father has to say, everything I've ever had's always been yours. Celebrate, your younger brother just came home. Celebrate it. I preach that story I stood after our first service and while I was standing there, just like I had a gentleman this weekend come and do, a man walked out of the auditorium. I could tell his eyes were puffy and red. He'd been crying the entire service. He walked out of that auditorium. He came up to me, I mean, just tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, this is my prodigal. Will you pray for him? I took that picture and I felt the burden of God. By the way, I share this story even when I go preach places because it changed me that day. I began, because it's, it's easy for us to just think about generally, but I began to connect the heart of God to that one, you're one, or maybe you are that one. And I, I, I got that picture and I said, yes, sir, we will. I stood up in the next services. I said, this is so-and-so's prodigal. This is, this is his son. This is who he cares about. We're going to pray for him. And in every service we prayed for him. Did you know by the end of the weekend, I had a pocket full of little torn off pieces of paper where they said, pastor, pray for mine. 
pray for mine, pastor. Pray for mine, pastor. Pray for mine. I had a whole pocket full. Can I tell you today, if you are in rebellion, I pray by the Spirit of God you would hear the prayers of maybe your parents, your friends, your family. Turn around. Turn around. Come back to a loving God who loves you and has the best for you. Don't let the, 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 the enemy tell you, that's who you are. Don't let it happen. And I'm going to tell you, may all of us here let the fear of God come upon us to say, God, keep me in a place where that witchcraft doesn't get on me. Bow your heads with me right now. Some of you here, you've never received Jesus. You're here right now and you say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm away from God. I've ended up in the pig pen. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm about to get swallowed up by the earth like Korah's rebellion. I'm in that place, Pastor, and I feel God speaking to me. Maybe he's been drawing you. If you're here right now and you're in that place, he's standing like that loving father saying, come on, come home, come, come to me. And right where you are, you say, what do I do? Well, it's not about the illustrious prayer. It's about your heart. And you can just simply say right where you are, Jesus, come into my life. I give my life to you. I surrender myself to you. I believe you died for me on the cross. Just say it to him in your own words. I believe you rose from the dead. You're alive, Jesus, and I receive you today. You can come into my heart and life. The Bible says if you prayed that, you're saved. And we as a church want to help you. You can come forward at the end of the service. There's people here ready to help you take your next steps. If you're watching online, if you'll reach out, I have a book called Closer that I want to send to you so that you can start learning how to walk with Jesus. Maybe you come to Discovery 101 so I could meet you. I'd love to meet you and talk to you about your new relationship with Jesus. But Lord, right now, we also pray for prodigals. We pray for parents that are burdened right now. We pray for people in our lives, Lord, that, Lord, let us continue to fall on our face like Moses. We can't change them with persuasive speech, but you, by your spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, you would go and arrest them, that you'd reveal yourself to them, that you would change their hearts and lives. And Lord, finally, we pray for ourselves. Give us humility, Lord. It doesn't come naturally. Let us receive correction, not as rejection, but as you loving us to help us become all we're called to be. Lord, we love you today. We know that so many people give you attributes that are not yours. You are a loving father who only wants the best for us. So we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.